0: Hi, I'm Joe Feeks, editor of Poultry Health Today, and with me is Dr. David French. He is a veterinarian at Sanderson Farms. Great to see you, David. Thank you. Good to be here. At the twenty eighteen American Association of Avian Pathologists meeting, they started with a half day symposium on enteric disease. Uh, you know, it seems like coccidiosis and necrotic enteritis get all the headlines. So I, I want to come back to those, but. Let's fast forward to real virus. You talked about that as well. Sure. Is this uh, a disease that we need to pay more attention to?
1: So really all three of those that you mentioned have been a problem for us since I've been in poultry production, which is many years now, since 1985. Uh, so it's been there all along. Uh, we've, uh, we haven't beat that one yet. The, the, the real virus is a very unique virus and it's looking for an excuse to change and adapt and mutate. It's always looking for an opportunity to, to change, and that's what makes controlling it so difficult. Uh, we have in our arsenal, you know, the way that we that we go about protecting against it, is uh, largely by vaccination strategies. And in those vaccination strategies, we usually use live virus vaccines. Uh, additionally, commercial killed virus vaccines, and most people use an autogenous killed uh, vaccine that's specific to their operation. And uh, that's traditionally how we manage it. But we're always challenged because it's, it's, it's a virus that's looking for an opportunity to change and mutate.
0: What could we be doing better? I mean, you mentioned the different types of vaccines, uh, but I imagine there must be some other management practices or biosecurity issues that need to be addressed.
1: Oh, absolutely. Biosecurity is always at, at the forefront. But with regard to uh, the vaccination strategy, for example, the, the selection of the organisms that we use in the autogenous killed vaccine is critical. And, uh, you know, I've changed the way that I look at what's the right bug to select in terms of your vaccination based on a presentation made by a colleague of mine, Tyler Gamble at, uh, at the uh, Emerald Coast Veterinary Conference just recently. Uh, whereas in the past, I would, I would go out and look for isolation of a real virus from a problem flock. Uh, what I look at now is tracing that back to the breeder flock that was the source for those progeny, and then isolating the virus from seven day old broilers that come from that breeder flock because real virus is everywhere it's it's a ubiquitous virus it's 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 everywhere and it's very possible that you could get the wrong virus if you just go out in a disease flock and try and identify the virus there you might pick up a real virus but it might be the absolute wrong one that you're trying to get so better to go back to the very young progeny coming off that same breeder flock and isolate that virus and then there's a greater chance you'll have the right virus then.
0: So that's really where real virus management has to start is in the broiler breeders.
1: Absolutely we have to put the, the right vaccination program together in our broiler breeders and, and then we count on having Uh, that protection in the broilers coming off that breeder flock.
0: And with respect to the broiler breeders, how do you go about doing that? How do you know if you're using the right vaccination program?
1: Well, because it's constantly changing, you can have the right vaccination program today and then uh, next year it might be totally uh, wrong. So you have to constantly evaluate that. And what we do is we look for signs of the disease occurring in the broiler progeny coming off those breeder flocks. Probably the quickest way to to identify it is you'll see it as, as a problem showing up in your broilers. Uh, Again, then you can trace it back to the breeders, find the right virus, change your vaccination program and try to take care of that.
0: And how do you decide between using commercial vaccines or autogenous?
1: Well, we use both. Uh, The commercial vaccines, the the killed commercial vaccines certainly have their advantages. Uh, We also precede that with a live uh, virus vaccination that primes the immune system, generates uh, the memory cells that can respond to the killed vaccine. Uh, But the commercial vaccine, commercial killed vaccine by itself often is not quite enough. Uh, And that's where, uh, again, the specific virus that is causing trouble within your division or your complex, uh, it's helpful to have an autogenous to use in addition to that. But you mentioned that they do have
0: their advantages.
1: They do have their advantages. I mean, the commercial killed vaccines are, they're commercially available, they're readily available. They don't require isolation of an individual virus to generate an autogenous. Uh, They're well proven, they're tried and true, Um, you know, there's a lot of technology that goes into the oil adjuvant that goes into a killed vaccine, a commercial killed vaccine, so there's a lot of advantages to the commercial killed, but in some cases it's just not quite enough to cover the full gamut of what your challenge is in the field, and that's again where the autogenous comes in. Let's uh, shift
0: gears and talk about coccidiosis and enteritis. Um, At Sanderson Farms, you have the advantage in that you don't have any birds involved with no antibiotics ever, production schemes, at least none to my knowledge. Uh, So I I guess that gives you a bit of an advantage in managing these two.
1: Yeah, I tell my colleagues I have the advantage of of having a full toolbox. Uh, You know, anything that is approved safe and efficacious by Food and Drug Administration is available for us to use. Uh, and with regard to coccidiosis, uh, you know, depending on whether you're no antibiotics ever or no shared class antibiotics, uh, that sort of thing, it can, it can dictate what type of anticoccidial program or coccidia control program that you have in place. Uh, for example, the ionophores would be considered a no shared class uh, program uh, because the ionophores have absolutely no use in human medicine, they never will. Uh, So it's a good example of a product that should be safe and efficacious and available for use, and yet if someone wants to make the claim that they have no antibiotics ever, they're not permitted to use ionophores, which is is a sad situation because here's a product that works very well at controlling these these, uh, protozoal organisms, and yet they're not allowed to use it because it's considered an antibiotic, even though there's absolutely no human use for it. So that, uh, that changes people's way of looking at how are we gonna control coccidiosis and not run into other problems from uh, necrotic enteritis and other things that might follow a, a coccidia outbreak. And, and one of the things that I picked up from the, from the other speakers on the program, the, the Enteric Disease Symposium, was that the microbiota of the chicken or the, the organisms that are in the gut of the bird is, is a very uh, a complex, diverse population of organisms that are in the gut. And any little thing that we do to control one disease like coccidiosis has an impact on other diseases like necrotic enteritis. Anything that shifts the balance of the population dynamics in the gut of the bird may leave that bird more sensitive, more susceptible to to other diseases and other problems that could follow. So it's a very complex thing to go to no antibiotic ever or no shared class antibiotics. generates a lot of unintended consequences in the gut of the bird which companies have to seek out and find a way to to manage uh, that situation and control the population dynamics in a favorable sense rather than an unfavorable sense.
0: Now it seems like this whole antibiotic issue has become very black and white and poultry. It's either no antibiotics ever or more conventional production. And uh, at at Sanderson I know that you've you've got the full toolbox but I'm I'm curious to know uh, how do you have that conversation with your customers because, you know, you're still one of the largest producers in the country. So not everybody is going no antibiotics ever, but I'm sure it's still a conversation you need to have with your customers. How does that go?
1: Well, two things are important there. One is that while we're a traditional company in terms of having all the tools available in the toolbox, uh, every time you use those tools, there's an expense to that. So our desire is not to use antibiotics if if we can avoid it. So I think as we look at companies that are going to no antibiotics ever, there are some management strategies that are beneficial to us that we are implementing that, that reduce the amount of antibiotics that we have to use by keeping the birds healthier and not requiring treatment. So while we have antibiotics available to us, our desire is still not to use any more than we absolutely have to. Uh, secondly, I think it becomes, it, it really becomes, for me, an animal welfare issue. Uh, at what point do you decide not to treat birds if you're in a No Antibiotic Ever program or a, a No Shared Class antibiotic program? Uh, Birds are inevitably going to get sick, just like our children get sick. And at what point do you decide it's okay to treat these birds and take them out of that market, or it's not okay to treat them because we have to fulfill that market uh, request that we have from that customer. So for me, uh, as I talk to our customers and as I talk to our our people within our company, I try to have everybody consider the animal welfare aspect of a no antibiotic ever program. And I, I think that's critical. Uh, as much as veterinarians are given permission to treat birds when they get sick, if the market is demanding that they be no antibiotic ever, there's a tremendous pressure on the veterinarian not to treat when he, when he actually should. And it becomes a very difficult, it's a difficult ethical question for veterinarians that are in broiler production. Can I do this and still be faithful to my veterinary oath or, or is this going to cause me to sacrifice my beliefs in terms of what I swore I would do when I graduated from vet school?
0: Do your suppliers understand that, regardless of how the flocks are raised, that by the time they get to market, there's virtually no antibiotic in the bird anyway, or at least if there is, it's,
1: you know, down in the
0: parts per billion category or whatever is allowed by USDA.
1: So there is a wide range of understanding and misunderstanding of antibiotics used in animal agriculture. And uh, I think that there's a lot of misconceptions about exactly what we were able to do and what we're not able to do among among the consuming public and we're not able to pick up each individual bird and and treat them separately i mean our company is is producing uh... and millions of birds every week we just don't have that opportunity to separate out the sick birds from the ones that are healthy and say we're going to inject uh... that just doesn't happen because we can't do it we physically could not do that so i think there's a lot of misconception misunderstanding in the general public about what we can and can't do how antibiotics are actually used i think i think by and large if the public actually understood if we could if we could somehow get that message across how we actually use antibiotics, what they're used for, how little antibiotics are actually used, then they would uh, be much more uh, understanding of uh, the fact that this really should be a non-issue. Uh, but it's, a, it's an educational mission for us and we're doing our best through, through advertising and marketing efforts to educate the public. Uh, but it's a constant challenge because there are people that today don't know where their food comes from and, and they have no concept of how the food is handled in an animal agriculture facility you. <music>